and welcome to Tech Live. Stephanie Christopher here, Chief Executive of the Executive Connection. Tech Connect CEOs, executives, and business owners to the world's largest business leader network. Today, my guest is Gudge Ravichandra, the co founder and managing partner of Compass, which is a global talent management consultancy. And Gudge specializes in enabling performance excellence for individuals, organizations, and educational institutions as well. Gudge is a psychologist uh, and a leadership and careers specialist, as well as a keynote speaker. He says that he is passionate about the improvement of people. And as a registered psychologist for over 20 years, Gudges work with organisations to formulate and deliver on solutions that enhance talent management initiatives. Gudge, there's some jargon and welcome to <laughs> Tech Live. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah. So first of all, you don't have to tell the whole story, but you were recognised the other day. You're actually a famous person on Tech Live. <laughs> tell us what happened. No, I, I think I'd uh, put a post up on the life of an entrepreneur uh -huh. uh, and that had been um, observed by a few people. And as I was paying for the the bill, uh, the individual had- You were in a cafe. In a cafe and, yeah. and they'd read that particular post and it had struck a chord with them. And they had one of those mini celebrity moments where we took some pictures together and uh, it was fantastic. That'll never happen again, right. but it was great. It was yeah. good. Now it's recorded and everyone can hear about it. <laughs> so we last worked together in April 2008. Mm -hmm. What have you done since then? Um, been doing some really interesting things, I think. Um, a lot of it has been re revolving around this work around mental toughness. Mm -hmm. and, and partly that's around how do we get people from where they are to where they want to be. And of course, we all have challenges and we all have obstacles that come in our way. And it's about identifying what those things are and how do we play on our strengths and try and optimize them to try and get to the outcomes that we want to get to. So in 2008, went to the desert uh, in the Middle East, um, was really taken by Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum's vision, uh, 2020 vision at the time, mm -hmm. which placed three out of the top five key pillars for the growth uh, for the country um, as people related, which I had never seen before, you know, that kind of emphasis on people and development. And so went there, took my family, had some wonderful experiences um, working in various international consultancies, and then set up Compass uh, in sort of 2013. And uh, have grown that and now uh, sort of operating across sort of four or five continents at the moment, which is great. Where do you live? <laughs> On a plane. Yeah, that's uh, No, so spend half the time in, in Sydney yeah. um, and uh, half the time, probably about a quarter of the time in the Middle East and the rest traveling um, to other places. Yeah. Interesting. Very mm. interesting. Okay, so let's get into mental toughness. Mm. You came across a model of mm. mental toughness. Tell us a bit about the model. Yeah. So uh, the model itself is, is was created by an independent group of researchers um, out of the UK called AQR. And what they had been doing for 20 years is trying to understand what were the key elements of mental toughness and how was it resilient to other sort of key terms that people were looking at, like um, you know grit and, and, and resilience mm. and so forth. And so they started understanding that there were these four critical components to mental toughness, uh, commitment, challenge, confidence, and control. And those four factors resulted in having significant impact on people's performance and ability. And to give it, get a sense of that, they started looking at academic ability versus these components of mental toughness in terms of success and happiness. And what they found 
is that academic ability accounts for about 7% of your chance 7%. of being full gold. Yeah, yeah, and happy. Mental toughness accounted for over 25%. Mm. So they said, why are we not talking about this? this? This conversation of mental toughness when it's more than three times more impactful, right, than academic ability and academic performance. So that started to become a driver for them. Uh, they, they wrote a book, um, I think in 20, 2012 or 2011, I found that book randomly in a Kinnikania store uh, in Dubai. And at two in the morning, I wrote an email to the uh, publishers um, uh-huh. to saying, can I please meet with these people? This is phenomenal. And so within a week, we were having a conversation in Dubai. They happened to be there in our conference. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the story behind it. I think really the, the elements are, you know, empirically solid Mm. Um, we love the science. We love it. the science. <laughs> That's so critical. So let's go into the elements because when mm. you talk about, and I have heard you talk about the model, mm. emotional intelligence comes to mind mm. as far as control. Mm. Where Where's the crossover, do you think? Yeah, so emotional intelligence in a lot of ways is really connected to the control mm. piece. Mm. Uh, and we have a, a, a particular scale or factor there called emotional control. Mm-hmm. And it's about choosing the right emotion at the right time, at the right intensity. Mm-hmm. And so being able to do that effectively allows you to be much more successful in terms of not only the thought processes of managing a situation, but also then post that situation, how you deal with that. Mm. And so that was really interesting from that perspective. Mm. Um, And so that fits also into this other piece on control, which is about life control. Do you believe you are genuinely in control of your life? Can you control your destiny? Or are you leaving it up to fate to Mm. kind of do that for you? Mm. We use the analogy of being a bus driver or a passenger, Mm -hmm. right? And I think in a lot of ways, sometimes we, we choose the role of a passenger and sometimes it's okay to do that yeah um and in other situations you know we do want to be driving our destiny and and not blaming things like the economy or uh, the the mood of the ceo or what the reserve bank has decided to do that month um what is in our control that Mm. we can be impacting positive change in our own lives so what would be the circumstances that someone perhaps who has high mental toughness and and a good sense of control, Mm. might choose to take the passenger role in their Mm. own life. So it might be situations where you want to step back and allow perhaps people you delegate responsibility to, Mm. to actually take control of a situation or a meeting or a presentation. Um, There might be situations where, you know, you're trying to observe people at a a client discussion um, where you want to step back and Mm. kind of then be more of a passenger. Maybe it allows you the time to reflect and to think about what has been happening, rather than being on the front foot in all situations, mm. when you might be sliding, trying to think slightly differently mm. about the context and what you're trying to achieve in that moment. Mm. So, you know, in Gestalt psychology, I don't want to get too deep into this, <laughs> right, but okay. there is, you can create a space for yourself. And that's really important. And whether you're a leader, whether it's about self-leadership, leading a team, leading an organization, we inherently are bad at creating spaces for ourselves to think and reflect, right? We're caught up in all the stuff that's happening around us. And so any opportunities to do that can get you to perhaps at some point to be a little bit of a passenger, to reflect on things, to not be on the front foot on all occasions. It doesn't mean you're you're losing control, but it just might mean that you're not being as assertive as you need to be. So it's about being intentional, isn't Mm, it? Absolutely. Not letting it take over whatever the context is 
take over and overwhelm you. It's mm. about being very clear. I need to step back here and think about it. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the other elements of mental toughness mm. then. What would it look like, for example, if I was low commitment mm. or one of my team is or my team as a whole mm. sort of skews towards low commitment? What's that going to look like? So for me, commitment is about delivering on promises, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, we make promises all the time. And I think it's this interesting language we use in, in, in corporations where we say um, accountability. It's a very mechanical word. Yeah. Right? Instead of accountability, imagine if we replaced it with promises. Mm. Right, it becomes almost very personal. I do what I say I'm going to do. Absolutely, mm. right? I deliver on what I promise I'm going to deliver on, and so that brings a sense of personal responsibility, you know, to whatever it is. And so, in that context, someone with uh, a low preference towards commitment would be somebody who perhaps isn't necessarily goal oriented. Right, they might be a bit loose when it comes to doing their work. They come in fluff around with some papers, uh, they are perhaps late to meetings, yeah. um, they don't necessarily value the time uh, yeah. for themselves and other people, they don't necessarily deliver on time in terms of deadlines, uh, they see those as movable feasts mm -hmm. uh, that, that can be yeah. manipulated. So somebody um, around that needs to have a mindset that really says, well, what is the impact of me demonstrating to other people that I... I'm not delivering on my promises. What, what is the message that I'm sending to the audience, whether it's my manager, my team, the organization, my customers? And so that is really critical. And that sense of reflection and self-awareness, which probably runs through all four of these factors. You know, yes. Without that self-awareness um, and the opportunity for us to gain that insight, we're really restricted in lots of ways. Yeah, that's mm. that's good. That's really interesting. The other one is challenge. Mm. So how important is that then mm. to an overall picture of mental toughness? Well, challenge is so vital. And part of that is because we are constantly faced with more challenges. Mm. You know, and I'm yet to hear a CEO tell us that there's less challenges they're expecting next year. Right? Yeah. It's not going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that's right. It's just going to be cruisy. <laughs> yeah. Really looking forward to We're it. We're on top of it. We're going to nail it. Midnight, yeah. first of uh, Jan. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that sense of overcoming challenges and the mindset you use. And it was interesting. I was listening to a song on the way here to mm -hmm. the studio. And the song is uh, a Motown song yeah. um, from The Temptations, My Girl. Yep. And it starts Lovely off. Song. Oh, it's awesome. I was going to sing, sing it. it for you. We'll sing it together. Yeah, absolutely. It <laughs> would um, <laughs> be a disaster. Yeah. Um, the, so the words are, I've got sunshine but on a cloudy day, mm -hmm. right? When it's cold outside, I'm in the month of May. Of May. Right? Yeah. And this mindset, right, mm. to choose your reality to overcome a problem or a challenge by mm. saying, I'm going to turn the problem into an opportunity. We use that word problemunity, right? Every problem has <laughs> you an opportunity. You do, I don't. <laughs> Every problem has an opportunity. Yep. So what is it that we can be doing to kind of change the way that we look at this challenge? Is that kind of how you frame it? Absolutely. It's the mm. lens that we choose mm. to use, right? Mm. Um, so that that is critical. And so what we tend to find with a lot of low to medium performers is that the way they look at challenge is very different to how a high performer looks at challenge because typically they're facing the same problems. And how does a high performer look at it? A high performer looks at the opportunity and they look at it and say in a couple of ways. And they might say, well, if I do this, what am I going to get from this exchange, right? There's a whole bunch of inputs mm -hmm. that are going to give me some outputs. Mm -hmm. Are the outputs worth it? The second thing they might do is they might say, well, it's going to be hard. I'm going to face some reality 
around this? And what do I need in terms of support to allow me to meet this challenge? Because that support is something that I could get from my manager. It could be resources or budget that I need to have allocated. Maybe it's some technology that could make my life a bit easier. Maybe it's even just the customer that needs to have some clarifications made mm. about what this challenge is and what it means for them. So it's the combination of those things that is kind of going on typically in the minds of a high performer mm. where they do reframe it, as you said, and they mm. kind of look at things a little bit differently, but that's their choice, right? They kind of make that opportunity to do that. And one of the other things which is interesting, and I was reading about actually a couple of days ago, um, is something called activation energy which is this idea that when you focus on a task and it's a problem, if you actually do things around you that allow you to focus on that task for the first three to four minutes, it actually gives you a higher chance of completing that task. You usually get broken in overcoming a challenge or problem because you lose your focus on things. And so what are the things that you mm. need to have around you? Does that mm. differ from person to person or there's things you should do? You can't do I have to clean up my desk first? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, right? For some people, clutter is helpful, right? And we yeah. go into an accountant's office and sometimes see absolute chaos, right? Mm. And we, But they know exactly where every file is. Yeah. They know where to locate things. So what's one person's clutter is another person's order, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's part of the interesting challenge here is that we're all different. Some people like music in an open plan office. Some find it a massive distraction. Mm. Yeah? Mm. Um, and so finding out what those techniques are is so different because we are so different. The environment impacts our personality so differently. We can't simply apply blanket rules. To everything no, it's interesting. Do. So I'm mm. thinking of when I have to have a specific output like a board report mm. and I tell people and we'll make a joke of it, you know, no one interrupt me, I'm doing this thing, but that's what I do. Mm. It's telling people, closing the door, sitting down and doing it and then it gets done. Absolutely. And it's mm. that, that, that time. And so therefore the activation energy principle says, look at the things around you that typically cause you distraction. If it's mm. emails, your phone. Mm. So make it harder for you to access your emails. So for example, shut down your Outlook mm. or turn off your computer because you know it's going to take you four minutes to boot up your computer. Mm. So actually, I don't need my emails right now. I'm mm. going to focus on this task. Mm. So you work out what is the energy that I need to activate a positive mindset to overcome this challenge and increase the amount of energy I would need to be distracted which is kind of interesting. So you make it harder for you to actually get yeah, distracted. Right. right. Mm. Oh, I love that. Mm. So the fourth C, mm. can you teach someone to be confident? So I know I agree with you that personality is a preference. Mm. And if I have a very strong preference away from confidence mm. or whatever adds up to confidence, can you learn it? Yeah, so confidence is a is a choice in a lot of ways, right? It's not really talked about in this way. So we all have a baseline of confidence in which we operate in. And what we tend to find is that that then has a consequence. So if we demonstrate low confidence in certain mm -hmm. environments, that then has an impact on other people around us and they therefore react in a particular way. So choosing for some people to behave that way actually serves them. And so we tend to behave and, and continually behave in that way. Mm -hmm. There are some people who like to be victims, yep. right? Because it serves them in some way. They get attention or mm. there might be other things that they benefit from. Mm. And so they will demonstrate potentially low confidence, even subconsciously, without being aware that it's happening because they're getting something in return. I think we, are, we as humans do this, right? We, we, 
we behave in a way because we do get something in return mm. for that behavior. Mm. Now, to improve the confidence, absolutely, there are some principles that we can learn. And confidence in the model that we're talking about is really linked to interpersonal confidence, which mm-hmm. is about standing up for what you believe in a, in a group-type environment. Mm-hmm. But also there's around confidence in your abilities. You know, do you believe you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to do your job? And if you don't, can you? do you have the knowledge to find out what those things are? Mm. And so that is also a sense of empowering somebody to feel like you are in control. And you can see some of the links coming back between mm. you know, each of the, the factors as well. And so if you feel that you having more confidence is going to help you to be able to achieve better outcomes, you're more likely to kind of look at opportunities and strategies in which to do that. But if you're not convinced that that's going to be the case, it's a much harder sell, right? And this is what we tend to find. You know, confidence for me is the foundational piece of all of this. And so without that sense of confidence, it's hard to then extend more control mm. in the things that you do to overcome more challenges in the belief that you have of yourself, to be able to commit to things mm. at, at a more serious level. If you don't really believe you can do it, yeah. if underlying. It starts with yourself. Mm. So there's a theme through all of that when I've been listening to you talk about this is choice. Mm. It's really a big part of it that mm. I'm hearing you saying as a person, mm. it's my choice how I'm going to approach mm. each of these areas of mental Absolutely. toughness. I heard this fantastic quote the other day, which was good choices Uh, result in a good life. Great choices result in a better life. Mm. Bad choices result in a poor life. Yeah. And not poor in terms of monetary, but poor in just Mm. in terms of options and situations. Mm. So absolutely, you know, those choices that we make can dictate the outputs in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, And it's, it's about us taking ownership. Yeah, that's a big Mm. theme of it, isn't it? Which Mm. which really appeals to me, Mm. that kind of ownership angle of Mm -hmm. mental toughness. So with all of that in mind, as a leader, Mm. if I'm looking at my team Mm -hmm. and I think there's a challenge in mental toughness and it might be shown by the way that the team responds to setbacks, Mm -hmm. that there's a setback, they take it to heart or it really throws everyone's confidence because it was a big setback. Mm. What can I do as a leader about that? Yeah, so that there are probably a number of things um, that a leader can do. Firstly is to understand and to explain the situation and to, and to get a real sense of what people are feeling and mm. thinking. You know, that cognitive cycle we have of the behavior that people might show of, um, you know, disengagement and disempowerment is usually linked to the feelings that they have. Mm. And those feelings are driven by their thoughts. Mm. So if a leader understands what their people are thinking, then they have a much more stronger ability to be able to mm. influence those thoughts, with that, which then influence their feelings and influence the behavior, behavior. in the right way. Mm. So if we get a sense of what is actually the thought that is taking place in the mm. heads of our people, um, that can help us to understand what's going on. And then it's about setting up some interesting challenges or goals for them that are achievable and realistic that might make them a little bit uncomfortable. You know, we call this living in the discomfort, yeah. right? How are we going to still allow us ourselves to be able to be a little bit uncomfortable to be able to step up and do what we need to do? And so that that is a, a critical piece. But then it's also then the regular support. And one of the one of the big frustrations that a lot of employees face and one of the things that comes out continuously in these engagement surveys that are coming out each year is the perception of the lack of support. Mm. from their leaders. So yes, you've given me a goal, you've given me a target to achieve, 
but what's your stake in this? How are you helping me and supporting me in being able to do this, right? Yes, I know I have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to achieve this challenge, but I also need the right support to enable this to happen. And so that is a, is a massive factor um, as well, the, the perception of the support mm. and asking your people, what do you need from me? What's going to make the difference? If mm. I could change one thing today about how I interact with you guys, what is it going to be that's going to change the opportunity for you to achieve the results that you want? That's good. I was just thinking when you were talking about that's assuming that everyone's the same. <laughs> because if I've got a team and they've got various levels of confidence, various levels of insight, what's the risk of taking one approach for the whole team? Oh, great question. There's, there's a significant risk. Mm. Um, and the risk is that our personalities are so different mm. that once we actually get to a point where we are pushing little buttons of mm. our personality, we don't necessarily as leaders realize that when that button is pushed, it is having an impact on another set of personalities. Mm. And that's the research that has been coming out. And it's um, pretty recent, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, a couple of months ago mm. in Florence, this paper was, was published looking at this meta-analysis, this group study of uh, personalities and how it links to uh, a dark triad of personality, you know, the Machiavellianistic mm. and narcissistic and psychopathy, but also mental toughness. And what it found was that we simply cannot apply blanket training and learning and development initiatives across an organization um, because we think that it's trying to improve a particular competency and it's relevant for everybody because it's not. Mm. Everyone reacts differently. Um, it's like serving the same food to everyone, right? It, 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 it's going to gel well with some people. Some people are going to have an anaphylactic reaction to it. Some people are going to walk away. They're not going to be interested. So in the same way, we need to look at what is the buffet of options? Buffet? Buffet? Buffet. Uh, buffet. We'll take buffet. <laughs> <laughs> um, of options that we are going to have to use uh, to make sure that we are a little bit more targeted in our approach. This is, ga this is game changing, isn't it? As far it as is. training programs go. It's going to shake the world of training. And it'll um, be interesting to see mm. how people respond to that mm. because in a past life, uh, we would have had people coming to us saying, can you do resilience training mm. for my organisation? Mm. Uh, we were chatting on the way over about mm. uh, something on the ABC this morning about an organisation doing resilience training and mindfulness mm. for young children. Mm. But that's kind of one size fits all, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So there is an inherent uh, issue with that. And so just being mindful <laughs> of mm. the mindfulness training yeah. <laughs> uh, and what is the impact on children um, and ensuring that we're not giving a, a blanket approach that is too deep. So there is probably a superficial level of training that might be effective for everybody mm. that isn't necessarily going to have uh, a massive impact on the buttons that we're pushing. Mm. But if we really want change and we want you know, students in particular or employees to have that change and to buy into that change, we're going to have to go deep. And to do that, it has to be more tailored. It cannot be... 25 people sitting on a course expecting them all to take away exactly the same things that they're going to go back into the office tomorrow and start applying. Mm. And it's becoming very clear now as to why that has not been happening for decades and decades and decades. Because individuals have different per personality mm. preferences, different levels of mental toughness. Mm. It's complex. Absolutely. I can't 
let you go without touching on the dark triad because you have. <laughs> Whoops. No, it's okay. It's So tell us a little bit about it. So supposedly they're actually increasing it to the dark tetra. No. So they're going to include <laughs> sadism. Can you imagine? It's just getting really dark. Yeah, it is dark. It's the Darth Vader yeah. option. But um, the so the idea is that as a leader, we need to demonstrate certain extreme versions of our personality to sometimes get the most out of our people. Mm. And so what we tend to find is that in the leadership levels that one in 10, according to the research, one in 10 people demonstrate these psychopathic tendencies, mm. right? It's one in it's three in a hundred in the general population. It's one in ten in, in corporate. And so neither of us though. No, no one in this room. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the interesting things is, are they all bad? Right? Mm. Is is it actually negative, right, in a way, or deconstructive to have these behaviors? So let, let's look at narcissism. It's about the sense that I can do everything and it's about me and the sense of ego and confidence, right? Confidence is massively correlated to being narcissistic. Now, if you are narcissistic with the single intention of helping yourself and yourself only, agreed. It is perhaps not the best strategy to use as a leader. But if you're doing it in a way that demonstrates a sense of community, uh, a sense of tribe with your people, where you're bringing people together against your competitors, against Mm. the challenging situation or the environment that you're in, perhaps there could be a benefit to helping them and to helping your customers to get the best outcomes. Mm. When you look at Machiavellianism, it's about the strategic manipulation of people to achieving your goals. If it's about the goals of the organization and achieving a vision, um, you know, there are lots of organizations out there that do some wonderful things about achieving much more bigger or larger vision or goals than just themselves. Um, So what can we do to positively manipulate the people in our teams and our customers and our shareholders I mean, it's a terrible thing to think about, (laughs) but we do it all the time, Mm. right? We plant certain information that allows certain people to perceive the right way of acting or behaving um, to get the outcome that we think is in the greater good. Mm. Um, So that can be quite helpful. There's so much in this. (laughs) There's so much in this, but there's some really interesting themes. Mm. And one is what you're um, naturally like, what mm. you're predisposed to. But self-awareness is really important and self-awareness is a really important part of that, mm. isn't it? Mm. Then the choices that you make about how you're going to approach a situation, mm-hmm. the way you manage your team as a leader, keeping in mind that there's individuals mm. and at times to really affect significant change, you need to go deep. You mm. can't just assume a one-size-fits-all training program to fix things up. Mm. So in in wrapping this up, I know that I've heard you say, and I think it's very important, that mental toughness is all about what am I going to do next? Mm. When you're faced with some challenge, big or small, it's about the bounce, as Mm. Brene Brown says. Mm. It's about what's next, what comes next, and that, that sums up your approach. Gudge, that was really good. An interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So that's Tech Live for today. CEOs are in the business of making decisions and leadership is the art of execution. I'm Stephanie Christopher and look forward to talking to you next time. 